Hello and welcome to Tech Ka Masala, a technology podcast with an Indian perspective. I'm your host Aditya and as usual we have Saket. Hi guys. And for this time for the first time in fact we are doing a three-way podcast and we are being joined by Nikhil Power who is the editor of Media Nama. Hi. Hey, so so Media Nama is, is a site that tracks anything technology, web, internet and uh, media related and you can find his work at medianama.com. Anything you would like to add, Nikhil? I hope that that does justice to whatever you're doing right now. It does. Uh, what we also do is we we tend to critique and analyze the market in India and uh, look for what people are doing wrong. We're fairly opinionated in that sense. So I hope you'll you'll find that uh, coming across in the discussion that we have today. That's great. And, and this this is a full time thing, right? Oh, absolutely. It's more than full time. Frankly, it's every living day, <laughs> every waking moment, and sometimes I dream about this space as well. <laughs> Okay, and so let's get directly into the stories. Sakit, we have been talking about this for the past couple of episodes, I guess. We have been, you know, BSNL had said uh, that they'll be starting with 3G and 10 days later they didn't. And now finally, finally, BSNL launched their 3G services. Uh, yeah, we have actually, I mean, like they've been talking about uh, re- I mean, uh, launching 3G for the past uh, couple of months, but uh, uh, the, f- the first real announcement about 3G only came in today, I guess. Uh, uh, when, when there was a big ad for with Manmohan Singh's face and Sonia Gandhi's face and everybody else's faces and announcing that 3G was being launched in Chennai. Uh, subsequent to that, uh, they've unveiled plans to launch in 12 cities and uh, uh, this is a media and AMA story that we refer to. So Nikhil, you have anything to add here? The thing about 3G is that the launch of 3G has been announced several times or at least plans to announce launch 3G have been uh, in the press for about the last two years or if not more. I had the opportunity to actually try it out in Delhi when MTN first showcased their 3G network. Got a broadband speed of about about two and a half Mbps to three and a half Mbps. So you actually got that, uh, is it, Nikhil? Yeah, but that was under that was in a specific location while they were still trying to test 3G. On the fifth of February, MTNL became the first operator to commercially launch 3G with an outrageous price of uh, data access at five. Uh, Five uh, rupees per MB. That's <laughs> uh, very cheap. And uh, BSNL, in fact, launched. They said twelve cities, and we noticed conflicting reports. You know, some people were saying that CG uh, is is just this is a test launch. Some people, with some media reports, are saying it's a commercial launch. So the communication from BSNL has been fairly unreliable in a sense. So the plans up on their website, and it's about three thousand rupees for unlimited access, and it's about. 1,000 rupees for 5 GB of access. So the same for prepaid and postpaid, or are there different price models? No, uh, it's the same price uh, for prepaid and postpaid. And in case of prepaid, you can buy additional MB. And, and, and in case of postpaid, you will be charged, I think, 2 rupees per MB or something like that. Interestingly, they also have night usage plans, which is, you know, yes. that they, are, they are pitching it at rupees 28 per month, and then you, you have to pay 1 rupee per MB between 11 mm. p.m. to 7 a.m. Uh, which I thought was great, and they also have trial packs. What do you guys think about that? I think for me, trial packs work because the thing is that for a lot of us are skeptical about how the data is going to be built. Today, GPRS in this country is more expensive than, in fact, MTNL's CG. Yeah. yeah. But our data consumption is so much lower that we're not built as much. So mm-hmm. if you add that broadband kind of speed, in fact, more than broadband, what most people get is broadband, if you add that kind of speed, our data consumption is going to go up and our cost will go up. Everyone's first 
the first experience of 3G should not be very expensive, you know. But frankly, what's the point of 3G in this country right now? But honestly, do you think no, this is even going to be uh, widespread when it comes to 3G? Because I mean, like, uh, I mean, like, essentially, I mean, we have got BSNL and MTNL competing in the telecom space, and they have both been doing. When it comes to uh, like uh, mobile telephony, they both have been doing a very bad job of it. I mean, like, I mean, uh, really, BSNL has been doing a pretty good job. They're the third largest mobile, third or fourth largest mobile operator in the country right now. It's just that they don't promote themselves as extensively. Yes, they're not seen as uh, great as the other. Yes, what, what, what you are referring to, Saket, is that they are not good at marketing their services uh, while while their infrastructure is is being used by all these private players. Yeah, the infrastructure sharing. Uh, there's only Swan Telecom on uh, on the infrastructure sharing right now, or on the intercircle roaming. Plan, but that's a mobile aspect of it. See, what would be your, your thoughts regarding private players getting into 3G? When, how far do you think that is? I think it's going to be at least eight, eight to nine months. And this is something which I'd heard last August that uh, no matter what happens, 3G auctions will not take place before the next elections. Uh, I was surprised when the auctions were first announced, and Jan was supposed to be with, uh, Jan 5th and later postponed again. But I was fairly skeptical because I had it from very reliable sources that it's going to be post the elections. So new gov- if, if it depends on who comes in into the government, frankly, or who becomes a minister. Uh, a lot of that depends on the lobbying that takes place. Hmm. Again, sources have told me that people are in fact trying to lobby to get the 3G auctions delayed because no one wants 3G. And the basic perception is that no one even needs 3G. All they, they need it for voice. Uh, there's a spectrum paucity uh, in this country. You'll have a lot of call drops. I hope this doesn't get dropped, but um, people are going to use a majority of that spectrum for for voice services and not for data. Whereas what 3G is is effectively high-speed data access comparable to high-speed broadband or even comparable to WiMAX. From 3G, I, yeah. I think let's move on to the next one. There's this litigation that's coming up, and it might change the way bloggers are being writing and the, the the rights of bloggers per se and this happens to be i forget his name a 19 year old blogger right ajit d ajit d yes, yes that's right so so basically the, this kerala boy had started a community on orkut against shivsena what what later on happened is that a shivsena youth wing leader filed a case for all the bad things were that were being said on this community. And it has come down to a point where a decision, a verdict is being awaited. What's going to happen to this guy for having started this community itself? I, I think this was a case on this guy. And this guy actually owns this group called I Hate Shivsena. But I don't think he has personally made any defamatory statements about Shivsena or, I mean, or engaged in hate speech and so on and so forth. But the thing is that a lot of anonymous people who are members of this group are making such statements. And he moved the Supreme Court uh, seeking quashing of these proceedings. But the Supreme Court has used to quash proceedings. And I think uh, the case will proceed as normal. I mean, a lot of people have, have read the arguing about this from the context of freedom of speech. But they tend to forget that the freedom of speech is not necessarily the freedom to abuse. And someone has to be held accountable for that abuse. Now, extend that to the new IT Act that came into, that was passed by the Lok Sabha and the Rajya Sabha in December. Section 79 there identifies the, the liability of 
of of of comments on the internet of of something that is termed as an intermediary now in this case the question one has to ask is who is an intermediary is an intermediary in this case or which owns the patent is an intermediary the person uh, the isp who's giving access or is an intermediary the person who hosts a particular community where this abuse had taken place See, my problem here is that when you talk about freedom of speech and accountability and so on so forth mm-hmm. given that the whole thing is so haphazardly split i mean it is really hard to find out as you said who the who is the guy who be sued i mean i mean in reality so what i need is that does the government even need to go in these areas i mean like uh, can't occult itself handle this uh, i mean i'm sure occult has got no service which say that uh, you cannot uh, defame someone so i mean all it yes. needed in this particular case is complaining to occult and they'll take it down the situation is that someone has filed a police complaint it is a valid case of defamation so how does the court deal with the situation is is going to set the precedents for all such cases in the future what i've read in the press reports is that they have said that internet is an open medium where people and it is accessible to everyone even if it is limited to a community which means that the gov- that, that the court is taking it it's treating in the same manner as it treats as print and tv question is do we moderate everything on the internet that may be liable for defamation i know at at media nama we are very very careful about what people are saying and uh, we do delete certain comments which are uh, which are definitely or are abusive because we may be held liable for it so okay. you know in this situation who has who's held liable uh, that's the key question and in this case a community owner is being held liable whether he is not committed the abuse in case of anonymous if someone from an international market has posted uh, an abusive comment there's no way of tracing who that person is who is then held liable someone has to be held liable for that kind of abuse and i think all of us uh, everyone who has a blog should frankly look at themselves as someone who can be held liable for either what they are saying or what is being said by people on in the in, in the comments right and i think i think you also brought up a very good point as to who should actually be sued you know what is the medium who is the intermediary there i think that's the key point so that's going to be decided in the next 6 months because the final uh, rules of the it act are going to be finalized by the uh, by the next 6 months by an entity called cert that's computer emergency response team and then you're going to know who exactly is going to be held liable and who is not moving on to the next topic that we have in the lineup so yahoo cfo gets fired no no actually yahoo went through a complete uh, reorganization so i mean like the first uh, thing to come out was that the ceo was leaving the company but uh, uh, this is something which uh, carol barts has been making ominous statements about i mean ever since the last week and this, this thursday she uh, issued a clarification and uh, i mean announced a reorg which uh, essentially aims at uh, dismantling silos within yahoo and trying to focus more on the customer i mean like when it comes to reorganization it is known that the cfo blake jorgensen is out and i mean like uh, some products have been unified under their cto who is adi balog Yes. and yahoo used to have four international divisions earlier i mean like i think the asia pacific and europe as well so i mean now they are unifying yahoo into north america and international yeah and and did you guys actually read the blog post uh, yeah i have read the carol bart's uh, blog post and it's quite casual and i mean i mean it uses some interesting language yeah exactly the, the blog post itself is titled you know getting our house in order and then then she they, they, you know there's some judicious use of cursing etc like you know you impress the hell out of me and uh, there there's this again one one thing look for this company's brand to kick ass again i mean is that supposed mm. to be you know is that supposed to 
portray her as you know being a techie or she understands what it's to be tech a techie you know do you guys look at it that way uh, what i look out from character that channel barks is some clear indication on what strategy is to be pursued so strategy specifically with respect to what are going to be their main products and what what is actually going to be uh, their focus on on revenue because yahoo has been i mean all over the place buying different companies from completely random actions a lot of services which haven't uh, received an overhaul or an upgrade for a long time and are just abandoned again then there's this microsoft deal which they rejected and it's very confusing right now so what i would like to see from Carol Bart right now is a clear business plan well uh, you also have to keep in mind that what is yahoo's objective here what is the end game um is this entire entire reorganization meant to create an entity which is sellable or uh, is it meant to create a company that's going to kick ass oh uh, so 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 what you nikhil what you are saying is is she readying up the company to be sold exactly and uh, frankly the reason why yang was removed was because he was extremely dismissive of microsoft's uh, approach and why there was a shareholder revolt was entirely focused around ensuring that that yahoo be sold to microsoft the revolt was even expected and from an offer price of $37 to a share yes. and the current the price is $12 so i mean there is bound to be a revolt in in fact microsoft uh, benefited hugely and yahoo was hurt by badly because the entire process because when a company makes a takeover bid and and they enter into negotiations what happens is that overall the morale of the company suffers the deals that are being struck uh, or in uh, other partnerships that are in the process of being inked get delayed because no one knows how uh, how that company is going to progress in the future so yahoo effective why the share price fell down was that people didn't know what was going to happen to yahoo uncertainty impact share prices like nothing else that's how yahoo's valuation suffered and frankly at the end of it if you think about it in in terms of valuations microsoft actually came out stronger and yahoo weaker so uh, one the company that benefited most from this entire microsoft yahoo tasu was google they yeah. looked at the only strong entity so probably uh, from one uh, silicon uh, valley company to the other apple launched a safari 4 beta version and apparently sakid you are in love with it Yeah, I'm in love with it because I mean I've got it the very first day it was released, and trust me, it is. I mean, it's completely wicked. It has now made uh, web browsing a solid five-way contest. Uh, you had uh, Safari only on the Mac, and then on the Windows uh, you had Safari, but nobody used it. And then there are other four browsers like uh, Opera, Firefox, and so on and so forth. Uh, but but Safari was perceived to be lacking features primarily, and say Safari does not have an extension framework because Apple has got this whole uh, way of uh, uh, locking things down and keeping it all in the house just to. control the user experience safari 4 at the lot many things to table i mean it's a thing called top site is essentially thumbnail views of uh, the most frequently visited site uh, which will open up right on the home page i mean this is something taken from chrome as well as uh, opera and apart from that uh, they have got a really beautiful uh, method to browse history which is uh, cover flow i wonder why nobody else thought of it but here's a here's a question to you right i haven't yet tried the software out would you recommend yeah. me moving from firefox to this thing and use it as my primary browser because that is what it comes down to right 
See, if, if, it's come, if, if it comes to recommending someone, I have always been a strong proponent of the WebKit engine as against uh, the Gecko engine. I, I, I honestly think that the Gecko is badly bloated and Firefox 2 is like pathetic, but even Firefox 3 is remarkably slower than Safari because I use it on the Mac all the time. I and mean, the time Safari takes to, I mean, launch uh, and the time Firefox takes to launch, there's a, there's a difference there. And again, in the browsing speed and so on and so forth, that's why people are flocking to Google Chrome on the Windows desktop as well. So, yes, I would definitely recommend Safari 4. I mean, and given that they have, again, this another trend in browsers has been JavaScript engine wars. Google has got its own JavaScript engine. Opera has got its own JavaScript engine. Opera has got Presto. Google has got V8. And now Safari has come up with Nitro JavaScript engine, which they claim is 4.2 times faster than Safari 3. <laughs> and uh, they touted as the fastest ever. You know, you know what? Whenever another browser comes up, it just scares the developer inside me because... Again, I have another browser to take care of to do compat to run compatibility tests of whatever I build. I'm not really that excited. That do we, do we actually see, see the whole point is do we actually need another browser? We already have four browsers there who are who are fighting for uh, all, all the market share. Do we actually need this guy? What do you think, Nikhil? Uh, the more the better because as long as there's more competition, we, every one of these will improve. We don't want just an internet explorer, even though it it, it is still the most used browser. I, I think that the more the browser, the better. I switched to Chrome and I never expected to continue using Chrome uh, because I used to love Firefox. But Firefox kept crashing, was too slow, and I used to use a lot of extensions. Hmm. Uh, I switched to Chrome and what I realized is whenever I want to use an extension, then I load Firefox and then I use it. But my main usage is now switched to Chrome. Oh, it's, and, and it's funny that you mentioned Chrome and IE because Google apparently has joined the bandwagon against Microsoft, you know, the anti-Microsoft campaign for its browser. Suck it. Yeah, this, this is actually ridiculous. I mean, like, uh, <laughs> uh, the EU recently has uh, tried to, you know, sue, my, not exactly sue, but essentially try put an injunction against Microsoft all over again uh, for antitrust reasons because they bundle IE with Windows. I mean, uh, how old is this story? I mean, exactly. It's happened 10 years back. That's exactly uh, what I thought. Uh, I, I, I thought we, we were done with this thing. Yeah, we were done with this and browsers today are an integral part of your computing experience. So, I mean, like, by not giving a browser, I mean, in Windows, Microsoft uh, would uh, be shipping an incomplete product. So, I, I don't think what this argument is all about. But since I enjoy still uh, the most maximum market share, and even though it was 96% earlier, now it is 67%. Mm. So, this all started with Opera petitioning the EU about uh, how it is difficult as a software maker uh, to get in, inside computers because there already is a browser there and people don't switch and so on and so forth. So, so that's where EU has started this and then Mozilla applied to join in because they also wanted to be a, 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 another party to the case. And now Google has also joined the, uh, the bandwagon, which, uh, which is, which is uh, honestly, uh, from a moral standpoint, really bad. But I mean, from a business standpoint, if the EU is actually so hell-bent on going after Microsoft, so I mean, Google is just lending support. Two situations coming out of this. Uh, either you have, you'll have an operating system with no browser, or you'll have an operating system with every browser. Which one would you prefer? No, actually the operating system with no browser, I mean the whole idea is, I, I don't know, it doesn't make sense at all because today we live in the world which is enabled by the internet. So firstly, I mean, having an operating system without a browser is not reasonable. Even uh, if other browsers were to be encouraged, somebody would still need one browser on their computer to go download another. Absolutely. In, in fact, I tried out a, a device called Kayak which was launched by Qualcomm. And the it's, it's an internet device. It's, it's it's almost like a desktop. And the key interface there is the browser. 
there is oh. no other end. there is no access to any operating system it's just a browser it is more like a, a slash top kind of a in the sense that uh, uh, some of these laptops have got these oss which which boot into full windows but there is this uh, semi boot option which uh, just gives you a browser window what kayak is essentially an internet access device it comes built in uh, with a 3g card with with a wifi access and there is no storage so you can either plug in a usb device or you can just use it to access the internet so it's the when it loads it actually loads as fast as a mobile phone does and uh, the whole whole idea behind that is to make a cheap internet access available and let it only be about internet access it's 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 about making so, a browser so and a to the cloud everything moves to the cloud in that context cloud service has failed i mean like the, the unexpected happened when gmail went down on tuesday for uh, i mean over two and a half hours so there has been a lot of hullabaloo about this lately and i mean this is a story which has been discussed uh, over the past week any any views on this aditya uh, you know what i even didn't know that google was down because i i rarely access my gmail using my using the web front i use my desktop client as my access to google and apparently i think there was no problem for me so until yeah, i only only the gmail site was per se was down and exactly. gmail was working and even google apps was working because i have my work account uh, which is uh, a google apps account even though it is a gmail interface i was able to access it all through but but apparently a lot of people did and and a lot of people also don't know that google provides its email service as as a paid service as a subscription to small and medium sized businesses it was a, uh, a, a big deal for google apps right Yeah, that that's Google Apps, and I, I had absolutely no issues with Google Apps, and I don't know. For me, the key uh, thing that's happened around around Gmail in the past month or so has been that I noticed that quite a few people had their uh, Google accounts shut down. Few people on Twitter that I read about uh, who were complaining about the fact that their the, the Gmail uh, and the Google accounts were shut down. That's a scary proposition for me because again, I'm entirely on the Google ecosystem. Right, uh, my work. My, my my entire work account is on google app so put yourself in someone's shoes whose uh, google account is shut down and think about what would happen to you that's scary and it's like frankly our our entire dependency on google is scary right now then Nik- nikhil what do you, what do you mean what do you mean shut down just shut down as in you know not available to access I, i read about someone who, who perhaps sent a mail out to something like 300 400 people and apparently that may have been a violation of the terms of service or someone must have reported their spam and oh. lost the entire thing no 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 but but in that case your google account is only shut down for the day and then you get access if you send like more than 500 emails in one shot then then you don't get access to a a, a day and then they reinstate you know your account but if they have just no but what about the emails do, do they stay or do they go away yes, i don't know So that's that's what but, I was try, trying to you know. But I, I mean, I I wanted to just highlight the point of 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 our dependency on Google and uh, what would your yeah, life that, be that like? Always has been. I mean, the the burning question about I mean, how how much can you trust Google? Because nowadays Google is everywhere. I mean, like they're launching all kinds of service and I mean, uh, on Tikka Masala we talked about so many Google stories. We talked about a story where Google was launching a power meter and uh, Google is launching GPS based services. So all kinds of information is available to Google right now. So this indeed, I mean, is concerning. But there has to be an option because there's one thing we can at least be sure about. I mean, even though the story is about a Gmail outage. Uh, uh, how many gmail outages do you remember for the past uh, i don't know 3 4 years reliability per se so thank you the best connectivity network in the world is probably uh, the one that's powering youtube 
Google has the best content delivery network in the world. And that's why we do really don't have any issues with our access with any Google servers that we use. Sakit, to your point, I think Google was down back in uh, December last year or November, if I'm not wrong. And even then, they people were offered, you know, some 15 days gratis service to, to, the, to the paying customers. And that's the same thing that they have done right now. Yes, they've got a 99.9% uptime SLA. So... Uh, so on so on those grounds, I think you can have some sort of an assurance that it will not uh, um, go down for at least you know more than 15 minutes or whatever if at all it goes down. Another Google glitch recently was when uh, they they marked every site on Google search as as malware. Uh, as malware. Yeah, yeah. So come to think of it, two glitches in the last one month or less. That's interesting. It shows shows that they are human. So I I pretty much like Google to keep the edge rather than lose it like. <laughs> well. From from one uh, internet giant and let's go on to another one. Amazon finally had launched its Kindle 2 and it had an interesting feature about text to speech and they finally decided to disable that thing. Yeah, it was more of a usability feature. So if you didn't want to read all that text, you could just press a button and a computerized voice would actually read it out to you. So, so the Authors Guild, which is an organization in America, uh, was not quite happy about uh, this feature and they said that uh, uh, doing so will actually kill the uh, billion dollar ebook market. So in response to that, what uh, Amazon is saying is that it will now allow publishers to choose whether text to speech has to be enabled on their book or not. So, so the control right now is I mean, in the hands of publishers and since uh, this whole thing is like DRM to death, uh, it is pretty much enforceable. Implications for people who can't read or write. I, I think the implications there are huge if that feature was enabled in a country like ours. You had vernacular content because you see in, in, in large parts of this country, the dialects are such that there is no written text for them and it's extremely difficult for people to communicate. Another thing is that ebooks, I mean, are read in a proper modulated voice with audio effects and so on and so forth. Uh, what Amazon was doing here, text to speech, I'm sure was in no way infringing uh, uh, ebooks from, from a legal standpoint per se. It is just about them losing business uh, because I mean, I'm sure the, the book being read by an automated voice would not be the same uh, as being read by uh, I mean a real person. So it's not that a copy is being made or a derivative work is being created. Honestly, legally Amazon was anyway on clean ground, but it still decided to respect the <laughs> author's guild here. Uh, yeah, yeah it, the... but we should not also forget that Amazon owns Audible, who is the largest audiobook provider. So, yeah. just to put that thing out there. So, because, you know, they have some business interests as well. But Amazon does sell uh, audiobooks on their own site? Uh, see, it's it's basically a link that points to an audiobook on Audible. Okay, okay, okay. Because I've seen uh, audiobooks on Amazon as well, so I was confused there. Uh, Sakit, again, going back to the last episode, we, uh, we spoke about the, the terms of service about turn that the Facebook, the company did. And finally, they have come up with an interesting solution here. You want to take us through that? Facebook, I think uh, this week they've completely redeemed themselves. They, they've always had, uh, uh, you know, issues with all kinds of privacy violations. I mean, starting with Facebook beacons, uh, the kind of advertising, what data is made available to whom. And then about 10 days ago, they have got this whole terms of service fiasco wherein they changed their terms of service to mean that even though a user left the service, uh, they had a right to retain the data and uh, like keep it just to maintain continuity and so on and so forth. And that kicked up a furore and then they went back to the old terms of service from saying that uh, they will come out with better policies. So now what they've done is that they've come out with uh, two, uh, essentially two drafts, uh, working drafts, which are which, which seek to rewrite the new terms of service. Uh, this is, these are called the Facebook principles and a statement of rights and responsibilities. 
So what they're doing right now is allowing people to act to those things. So it's pretty much like a wiki thing, and it's written plain English as against legalese, and allowing people to vote on them as well. So which I think is brilliant. In this context, just think about the Indian market and how many people actually not only do how many of them read the read or study the terms of service, but how many companies actually ensure that their terms of service uh, is in order. I, I find a lot of sites actually just direct copy-paste terms of service which is being used by other sites and randomly just change the names. No, but uh, isn't that, uh, I mean, a function of how well society is policed in that uh, specific country? But, I mean, I'm sure in India we do that. We just copy a terms of service and paste it and, and, and nobody even reads that. So everybody is in the clear. But, uh, I, I mean, in countries where laws are more evolved and people are yes. more intelligent, uh, I'm sure that these things do matter. Well, I would say that people are more intelligent, but I would say that people are more observant, more conscious of their rights and more, more aware. More aware would be the correct word, actually. Yes, so yes, I think yes. awareness is coming to this country as well. So this is something we should look out for. But but I don't know. Yes, what, uh, what, Nikhil, what do you think about the way that they are doing it? You know, asking people to vote on principles and, and all the rights and responsibilities at Facebook. What, what do you think about that? It's, uh, it is it is frankly the ideal way to do it and it is a significant face-saving move because if you look at what Facebook did earlier with Beacon and what they're doing now, they tested the waters and they were caught out. That's the way I feel about it. Now, uh, this is the best way to redeem themselves and allow, and it, it's also uh, a huge show of faith in their own audience and, and vice versa. It's a, show of, it's a show of respect, you know, and that is going to win Facebook more fans. From, you know, it's, it's something which one would also expect Google to do at times, you know. It's just how people perceive it. And this perception, this, this kind of uh, a move of actually asking people to, um, to help in formulating the terms of service is, is going to make them perhaps respect Facebook a lot more and identify with it in the future more than anything. In my opinion, this is, I mean, great because if you compare Facebook to Google, I mean, just as you mentioned Google, I mean, Orkut's policies are anyway quite questionable. Even in the past, they have said that they would happily hand over IP addresses and information uh, regarding to users to the police if requested and so on and so forth. So Google always has been too keen to, you know, give out data. So so, so Google has in fact given data in China and and they they were taken up on that uh, by the U.S. government as well. Uh, both Google and Microsoft have given data. The real test for Facebook will be when, if and when they are sued or they are taken to task by a particular government uh, and asked for user information. In India, they are disclosing information because otherwise they would be held liable. And this is, this is an important future market for them in terms of their business. If, if Facebook was sued in India, I think one would like to see how they react to, to such a situation and also how an entity which is effectively not registered here but has users from here, how that is taken to task. On to uh, the next story, which is also about giving out data. Uh, last week, uh, we had uh, in Tekka Masala, we talked about Last FM and the rumor about them giving out information to the RIAA about people yeah. who had listened to YouTube's new album, which isn't yet released. So, uh, clearly implying that they had uh, got that uh, album off torrents. So, so yeah. this week, uh, we'd like to clarify even for our listeners that uh, Last FM has uh, issued a public uh, declaration on their own blog and they have uh, written a post entitled TechCrunch are full of shit because that was the <laughs> publication which actually wrote about this. And they said that, I mean, they're already pretty much crunched for CPU and so on to even run a program which would get data about users who listen to a specific track. I mean, they would have to invest CPU cycles in their Hadoop cluster, which is, uh, which, is which, which actually are very precious. And this is something that they have not done. 
and even the RIA has uh, issued a statement say, stating that uh, it uh, did not ask uh, last FM for the data at all and the last FM did not give it. So who's to blame here? TechCrunch? To blame is the Australian record label actually who from where the album got leaked in the first place. The record label who uh, for, for this album in Australia for uh, for some human error or I don't know for what reason they actually put out a DRM free version of the album I for know. sale on the internet uh, for I think one day and that, that's where it all started. You know I, I, I think we're, we're coming to a situation where labels are uh, frankly moving will have to eventually move in, in the direction that they can't take on people and they have to take a call on how they're actually going to monetize their content because moves uh, the, the, the RIA is hugely unpopular in the world because of the fact that they have actually gone and sued students, sued, sued housewives who have actually downloaded torrents. Yeah, uh, basically sued uh, their own customers, uh, you know. They have sued potential customers but another way of, of looking at this is that how much does the, does the artist actually make from these albums? You know, what we're, what we're finding in the last year, uh, the last two or three years is that artists, artists like Radiohead or like Nine Inch Nails are independently launching their music on the internet. Piracy is essentially a result of a gap between existing copyright law and technology. Right. I think it's also a price situation. Uh, hey, you know, you know what, guys? You know what, guys? If, if anyone, anyone figures out a model that actually works in music, that guy is going to be very, very rich. Okay, so uh, 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 I don't know if we can figure that out in the next 30 minutes or so, but um, I think it's time to wrap this episode up. We've been talking for about 40 minutes. Those were the uh, stories that we had for you. It will be interesting to hear back from our listeners, actually, what they thought about a three-person you know, podcast. Was there a lot of confusion? Was there a lot of cross-talk happening, etc.? I'll be interested in knowing that from you, you the listener there. And you can you can find this episode up on theindicast.com as well as uh, Saket's website, which is volturo.com. And and I don't know if we'll we'll have something up on Medianama or not. But uh, apart from that, you can follow me on Twitter as well. I am twitter.com slash ac mahatre. Saket. I am at uh, twitter.com slash volturo. V u l t u r o. Uh, I'm I, I'm on twitter.com slash nixon. That's n i double x i n. And Media Nama is there at, at Media Nama. That's great. That's great. Thanks a lot, Nikhil, for, for coming on to our show, our little show, the thing that we have started. And uh, hope you had fun and will join us back uh, later on, if possible. I look forward to it. That's great. Uh, so that's about it. Bye-bye. ಬೋಧರ ಸೋಹೆ ಭುಜಾಚಾರ ಏಕದಂತ ಚಂದ್ರಮಾಲ ಲಾಟ ರಾಧೆ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮ ವಿಷ್